Welcome to, now this is part two of what the happiest retirees know. Instead of a list of 10, which is what typically you do, and I'm a big believer in the list of 10. I, as soon as I hear a list of 10 of anything, I always want to know what the list is. I don't care what it is. Like the top 10 things that you've never heard Card Kim Kardashian talk about, or I, they're just, it's so compelling to me. I'm always so interested and I wrote this originally as, let's just do 10. I'm going to take 30 habits of happy retirees. And we're going to take them down to five. We're going to take them down to the most important 10. We're going to do a, a podcast about them. And as I did this, and I think I was doing the writing this on the plane, I realized that it's really almost a nice balance between five life and five money. So we started with the five money and we just did that. And, I, and I'll do a quick recap of that as well. But Today, we're going to talk about the five life habits. In fact, we're going to get to a six as a bonus. So it's really six, but I want to do a list of five and five. It sounds better. Plus, the bonus is probably my weakest suit. And that's why it's just a bonus. It's not, it's not, I'm not an expert at all at this. The rest I've researched an awful lot and have had a lot of fun with. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. I want to start out with an email from a listener who originally was not a listener to the Retire Sooner podcast, I actually heard an interview. And by the way, I'm in Memphis. And this is, I believe, uh, this this will come out right after I'm here in Memphis, Tennessee. I've never been to Memphis. In my mind, Memphis is the firm from Tom Cruise and Graceland with Elvis. That's it. And I've never really been here. I've been to Nashville many times, but being in Memphis is, uh, it was a super short flight. It's like a 45 minute flight. You get here, you leave at 1030, you're here at 1030 Memphis time. It's great from Atlanta. So if you hear some bustle in the back, it's because we're in Memphis, our whole team for TravelCon. Travel happens to be, so far this year in 2022, the episode we did about what happy retirees know about travel is the number one episode of the year. So when Mallory was trying to talk me into going to TravelCon, I was like, why do we need to go to TravelCon? She said, well, it's the most, people like that the most. We need to go to TravelCon and talk to folks that are in the travel industry. So we have some heavy hitters from the, tr the world of where to go, people that went on vacation once and never came back, not because they died, but because they just loved and they stayed traveling forever. One of the episodes you'll hear coming up, somebody went on their honeymoon and just stayed on their honeymoon. It sounds totally unrealistic, but I'm going to interview them today and, and I'm sure it is somewhat realistic and we're going to publish it here on the Retire Sooner podcast because we know happy retirees love to travel. But the kicker, and we're going to talk a lot more about this in this episode, is that traveling with friends is a massive happy multiple, happiness multiplier. And again, remember all of these things, none, none of these things are must-haves you have to do, but they're all lead to a higher propensity to end up in the happy retiree camp. So again, we're in Memphis, Tennessee, just ate at the famous Rendezvous Barbecue Place, had some of the best brisket I've ever had in my life. By the way, Memphis is dry barbecue. 
as opposed to where we are from Atlanta, which is that your normal, you know, soppy with lots of barbecue sauce. Both are amazing, but certainly Rendezvous was so cool. Well, just even walking in there, and the way we found it is that we walked out of our hotel, and you can smell it, and you we literally just followed our noses like uh, out of a cartoon with this alluring smell of barbecue. And we're like, where is it? Well, it smells. And we ended up finding it within like three minutes. It's amazing. So we're going to get to that. And I'm going to start with, and, and remember last week on the first part of this two-part series on five financial habits, five life habits, happiest retirees, we did we did the financial side. Again, happy retirees have a minimum of 500000 two multiple streams of income, three, mortgage payoff within sight, Four, the kind of investor, tomorrow investor, dividend investor is number four. And then the way happy retirees know how to guilt-free spending is they, they, they nail the 4% plus rule. Today, we're talking about the five other life habits. And I got really one of the most thoughtful emails I've gotten in a, in a very long time from a, a podcast listener. So thank you for that. And I'm just going to do a first name. It is, his, his name's Ryan. And by the way, you can email too through westmoss.com. There's an email button in the upper right-hand corner. And I, I love getting emails from podcast listeners and radio listeners. But this one really, really hit home. For, it, was, it was a very thought out, thoughtful email. And this was, Ryan essentially said, look, I'd never heard of you <laughs> out of the gate, but I heard you on another podcast, The Money Guy Show, which are two good buddies of mine, Brian and Bo out of Nashville. And they had me on to talk about what the happiest retirees know. So he bought the book. He just said he did it on audio, played it at 1.2x, got through it pretty quickly. And here I'll pick up just a couple little highlights from his email to introduce our next five habits. So he's talking about the book and he said, Wes, much of the material in this book was new to me because I tend to, and this is him talking, I tend to focus a lot of my time on financial knowledge and strategy and less time than I probably should on financial psychology and overall happiness, really in, in, in relation to money. I often joke that without me, my wife would go broke. Without her, I would never have any fun. So your book was a great reminder that I needed to focus on fostering new relationships outside of my marriage. And I've maybe neglected some of those and maybe need to spend more time on cultivating meaningful friendships along the way. And maybe spend a little less time discussing finances with my wife, conversations I typically lead, and then in parentheses, more like talk her ear off, as you can imagine. So just a really, really kind of a thoughtful email. And, and he went on to say, I love the book. It really taught me a lot. And, he, and then when it goes on, Ryan goes on to, to ask a question about his mom who's 65. That is, he's trying to help her figure out retirement. Uh, and he, he said he's going to be buying a copy of You Can Retire Sooner Than You Think. If Ryan's listening, I should probably just send, I'll send Ryan an email back. And I'm just going to, I'm going to just send him that book you can retire sooner than you think as well. So that just a really good way to intro what we're talking about today, because we all think about the money side as if that's the spinach that you have to do. Like you got to get the money side, right? We have to, of course. The five things that we talked about in the, the first part of this, you got to get those. Yes. And and the next five that we're going to talk about today do get short shrift. Uh, it's, it's those are the easy ones. I've got to get the money first. And to some extent... There is some validity to that. We, we do need this financial foundation so that we have a peace of mind 
And we're not worried about just the human psychology that we always worry about, which is running out of money, top three fear in the, in the world. It's, it's, it's close to the fear of death. It's close to the fear of speaking on stage naked. It is up there as a very major worry or anxiety point for human beings. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that we, we, we don't have to have the other side. And that's why I like doing this in two parts, five financial, the other five are lifestyle habits for happy retirees. It doesn't mean we can't do the other side. It doesn't mean we can ignore the life side because you can have the money on one side and you still will not end up in a happy retirement situation if you don't have these five or if you only have one or two of these five. You, gotta, you really have to focus in on this group. So it's really not an argument of which five is, is more important. I would say they're, they're equally important. And really what we're all aiming for is a combination of really thread both of these parts together. And then our chances of ending up in the happy retiree camp just go through the roof. I don't see how it doesn't happen. In fact, I've never, I don't know if I've ever thought about it this way as I talk this through. If you have these 10, there's no way you don't have a happy retirement. It's just not possible. You can't do all 10 of these and then not end up as happy retirees. It's, it is not possible. So I love that we got a little chatter in the background. We're in Memphis, Tennessee. I can still smell barbecue through the window. So let's give an overview of the five life habits. Number one, and these are all happy retirees. What? One, have 3.6 core pursuits, aka hobbies on steroids. Number two, have close but independent children. Mallory calls this hug, don't smother. Number three, happy retirees are married or have one marriage mulligan. Number four, have at least 3.6 close connections. And there's a lot to this one we'll dive into. Number five, happy retirees believe and do good. And the bonus, as a preview, eat to beat disease. Oh, we'll start with number one. And this is really one of the, this, I would maybe give this the credit for the light bulb going off that this is research that I would essentially dedicate the last decade to, because I, when I first started doing money and happiness research, I, I really ha didn't have full expectations of how the kind of data we would get back, what it would tell us. And what ultimately ended up as a research project was so interesting to me, compelling and actionable, meaning that these are things we learned that a certain, see, there's a little Memphis in the background. We learned what happy retirees do. It was interesting enough and almost prescriptive enough to be able to say, wait a minute, we need to really dive into this and write about this. And ultimately that became all of this, a lot of this research, the first book, you can retire sooner than you think. And then of course, here, what the happiest retirees know. And it was this, it was core pursuits. I remember getting these numbers back and seeing the difference between the happy camp and the unhappy camp. And they had three points. The ATROBs had mathematically 3.6 pursuits, 3.6 core pursuits on average, hobbies on steroids. So it's what we asked about in our initial survey. What are your hobbies on steroids? How many of them do you have? The unhappy group only had 1.9. So think almost four and less than two. And I remember getting that and then taking this data to the math department of Georgia Tech and saying, is this statistically significant or is this just a survey? Like, what is this? Does this really mean that this group is this and this group is that? 
And after, I think they, it, they took them, it was the president of the math club at Georgia Tech, the Georgia Institute of Technology, very smart group, came back with this chi-squared test and statistical significance. And I remember statistics from college, but I didn't remember how to do all of it. And they came back and said, yes, as an example, one of the first things I remember reading in their report back to me was the, the hobbies on steroids or the core pursuits was, yes, this is very statistically significant. And then again, maybe sit up and say, wait a minute, we need to tell people about this. So happy retirees have 3.6 core pursuits. The unhappy group has 1.9. The number one on the top of the charts for happy retirees is volunteering, number one. Number two happens to be wildwater travel con because travel is number two. As Mitch Album, who if you missed that episode recently on Retire Sooner, it'll probably make you cry more than once, but is wonderful. Mitch Album will tell you that giving is the best part of living. Author of Tuesdays with Maury. Number three within this 3.6 core pursuits, the core pursuits very often focus in on the ings, which are leaning towards active, exercise-oriented pursuits. So they're just active and it doesn't matter what, what they are. That's what we call them the ings, walking, biking, hiking, running, swimming, lifting, surfing, skiing, pickleballing, golfing, whatever. All of them are good. And it's, it's not uncommon at all for these ing oriented exercise. Now, maybe not lifting in the gym or maybe not running solo, but very often these exercise oriented active pursuits are also inherently social because you can do it with a group. Of course, tennis, the ultimate example, it's not an ing, but tennis, the ultimate example that we know that from a study from the Netherlands that tennis in retirement, and this is typically doubles tennis because as you're older, you're not running all over like Rafael Nadal, is a very social endeavor and it extends life on average 9.7 years. I mean, that's, that's worth the price of admission. Number two, and this is a family-oriented one that Mallory calls hug, don't smother. I call this have close but independent kids. And again, as a, as a dad with younger kids from 15 all the way down to six, I'm still a long way away from having independent children living all over the world. But if you have children or adult children, there's, there's something very special about living close to those kids. Retirees who live near 50% or more of their kids are between two and five times more likely to be atrops. Pretty fascinating data. So if you're, if you're not close to them geographically and it's feasible and feasible financially, then all day long, I say, green light, please move towards your kids. Go, go to them. And, you, and the good news here with kids, if you have a lot of them, three, four, five kids, you can always move closer to the ones you actually like. Families are families. Speaking of that, independent children is a huge piece of the equation. So we want to live near our kids, but happiness levels fall when we have our adult children living in the home. And there's been a massive movement in the last, maybe not a movement, just a demographic shift in the last 20 years. Adult children have a much higher propensity today to be living with their parents than we've ever seen in, in modern times. The second part of this family habit contingent has to do with what we spend on our adult children. And I would have guessed this is slightly the inverse, but again, very telling in the data here, independent children, 
very telling in the data. We want independent children because ATROPs spend less than $500 a month on supporting their adult children. You, Rob, spend over $700 a month. And I'm not just talking about you know, trips to Disney and Christmas presents. I'm talking about mortgage payments. I'm talking about car payments. I'm talking about school, tuition. And I think what that tells us is that when our children are in need of a lot of financial support, then it puts pressure on you as a retiree. When most retirees in America are really still worried just about their own finances, let alone having to also take care of their 40 and 50 year old children. So we don't want our kids to live with us because we want them independent. We want to live near so we can see them. Happiness levels go through the roof when you're near at least half your kids. Let's call it driving distance. And we want them to really not need our financial support when we're in retirement. Now, it also doesn't mean you're not thinking about your legacy for your kids. It doesn't mean that you're not starting to think about, doesn't mean the happy retirees aren't, aren't thinking about their money and investments, what that might mean for their children when they're long gone. It's just that we don't want to have to support our adult kids. All right, number three on the list, it's married. Number three, one marriage mulligan. And I think we've ever, you don't have to be a golfer to know what a mulligan is. Mulligan is something I take very frequently where you try to hit a ball and it doesn't go very well. And you get to hit another one. That's a mulligan. It's a do-over. So there is this high propensity. So first of all, if you're not married, you don't need to be married to be a happy retiree. A lot of that can go to the next habit, which is around socialization and close connections because it's not essential. You don't have to be married. But if you look at the research and we've done research around this many times, ultimately what we come out to see is that retirees who are married are four and a half times more likely to end up in the happy camp. And if you think about some of the statistics that we've found over the years, very often it's one and a half times more likely, two times, three times more likely. This one is a very large, this one like screams at you. This is a very, this one shouts. Four to have X really moves the meter. So this is a very important piece of the equation. Again, doesn't, you don't have to be married, don't have to be, but it, it, is, it is really helpful. So it's not a requirement, but it's very helpful. With that, I remember when I was doing the initial survey in this, I think I had multiple really good friends going through divorces and they were, they were pretty brutal and they were just a lot, they were kind of beaten down and it took them a long time to kind of, kind of get back to normal. And in my head, I inherently thought, oh, the more divorces, the, the, the tougher life is potentially. And what, what, when I asked about levels of happiness relative to divorce, what came back was, was a little bit surprising to me in retrospect, I get it. But when it comes to divorce, happiness levels don't change with one divorce at all. There was no, no downtick in happiness, no, no uptick either. So the mulligan, oh, I hit a better shot. If you're a golfer, you, you hit a terrible shot and then you hit the exact, you stand there and you sit, you drop another one, you do it again. And you say, and you hit an amazing shot. You always say, oh, player B, so much better. Here, it didn't necessarily give you a huge uptick either. It was just that it was neutral. Everyone gets at least one marriage mulligan. Now, if you start looking to the, to the data on multiple divorces, talk about two, three, four divorces. And I, I actually don't, I don't really know many people that have four divorces, but if you do run into someone with four divorces, you immediately think to yourself, wait a minute, 
wait a minute. So, so there's some, so the data is not surprising that multiple divorces lead to higher levels of unhappiness. But I think the good news is, I think the good news is for retirees that are going through something or getting divorced. And we've, we've done a show here on Retire Sooner that talks about the gray movement or the gray divorce trend that's happening where more and more retirees are actually kids out of college and they're, you're retired and then you get a divorce later in life. It's okay because it might be that tough period of time. Now, nobody said that it was an easy process and nobody said that there, there wasn't some downtime, but as far as the recovery from that seems to be very strong. Number four, have at least 3.6 close connections. These are CCs. We call them in the book close connections. You call them great friends, people that, what is a close connection? These are people that you can call on a, on a bad day. And sometimes I think the test too is that these are people you can call on a good day. It's both. That's a close connection. And one of the things I've learned this year in doing Retire Sooner podcasts that we've had, as we've had some wonderful guests on, some we've published the podcast, some are, are upcoming in the next, in the call it the month of May and June. Ben Nempton, an example, who's the founder of The Buried Project. He's on MTV. His entire media career is around helping people get bucket lists together to enjoy their lives. And Dr. Raj Ragunathan, always a little tough to say Raji's name, but what, what they will tell you, and these are two very separate interviews, but when we get down to levels of happiness, socialization plays a major role. Dr. Raj will tell you, it's a little easier to say Dr. Raj. Dr. Raj will tell you that really you only need three things. One of them is access to resources, which is a kind of a nice, maybe more politically correct way of saying you need to at least have some damn money for God's sakes. Number two on his list, purpose, a purpose as we all would, most of us agree, purpose in life or a flow state. But but number one on that list is a, a tight and good healthy social network. So even the foremost psychologists on the planet will tell you this. So no wonder the data came back this way. But the way we look at this, as far as getting into retirement, and it goes back to my introduction email that we got from a listener named Ryan, who said, I know we always think about all these financial items when it comes to retiring sooner or retiring at all, but I feel like I have neglected the other side of the equation, the, the, the side of the equation that we're talking about right now. And he, he mentioned that he needs to put some more effort into socialization and his close friendships. They, the friendships are investments. They take constant investment. So the statistics are this, 3.6 close connections. So think of three to four close connections, someone that you can call it a very good or very bad day. The unhappy group is in this two to three range. So call it around two and a half. So even the unhappy group has close connections, but there is some magic to at least a certain amount of people that you can turn to in your life. So again, this is always one of these areas that, that almost sounds a little bit selfish. Well, I need to hang out with my friends. I need to spend time. It's taking time away from work. It's taking time away from family. But it, it really is an essential part of the equation for both you and your partner. And it shouldn't be marginalized because it is absolutely essential. Not only are close connections essential for happiness, the, the quantity of close connections has this very strong and very direct relationship 
to health and longevity. And unlike the plateauing effect that we see when it comes to money and happiness and income and happiness, there is no plateau effect when it comes to the number of close connections. So two is better than three, three is better than four, four is better than five. And the relationship, and again, I think we stopped at seven. I don't know who has seven close friends. I don't know, maybe you do. But the levels of happiness really do continue to rise or the propensity to end up in the happy camp continue to rise with, with each close connection as you build that so important social network. HRUBs don't believe in long lost friends. They make an effort. They make an effort to see their close connections on a regular basis. There's two more pieces to this equation. They both take a little work but very, very effective. And these are, these are actionable things that you can just go figure out and do. These are actionable things you can go just do. Now it takes, it's going to take a little bit of effort here, but number one, HROBs belong to at least one organized social group. Again, this is not something that just easily happens. You've got to make some effort. You got to figure out the group you want to be part of. Then you have to have the nerve to go to this group if you don't if you don't know them and you've got to meet new people and that takes some time and some energy and and it takes for some people it's super easy for some people it's not the easiest most natural thing in the world to go meet a bunch of new people take some effort and some time but there's something very powerful around having a an organized social group and that when I did my research around this I asked you have to have at least one repetitive meeting each month. That's a, in, at least that's how I define this is that it can't just be once a year that it's something that it's like a society that you, you, there's a gala once a year. That's not an organized social group because it's not an epicenter, a social epicenter. I think that's what an organized group does is it, it allows you to create this constant potential for social interconnectedness that can lead to more socialization, that can lead to more close connections. So the, the magic around these organized groups, again, doesn't matter what the ad, organized group is. It could be a car club. It can be a yacht club. It could be a golf club, tennis club. doesn't matter. But it's very powerful in continuing to foster new relationships. And I think that's why you see such an uptick in happiness levels for folks that belong to some sort of organized social group. Now, this next to-do, now maybe I'll call this a happiness, I think we call this a kind of a happiness kicker, happiness booster, but it's, there's something about traveling with friends. It's one thing to travel. And we know that that is a top priority, top hobby for happy retirees. But it's another thing to travel with a group of people or to travel with multiple people. There are very few things in the world that can, that besides maybe college, can help you understand or really get to know people than going somewhere with them. And, and it doesn't, again, it doesn't matter where it is or what the event is, but it is the, the very act of traveling. You get to know people, the very act of being somewhere that's outside of the workplace, even if it's a work trip to some extent. And that's part of the reason that people make such good connections with people they work with, because it's very, it's, it's very common for people to have to travel with work. You get to know people really, really well in those environments. It's the same with social connection. It's the same with social connectedness. And I believe that the reason this ends up showing such a, a large happiness boost is that it's almost impossible to travel with friends or close connections and not end up with better and deeper relationships. Now, sometimes it works the opposite. 
But in a lot of cases, you end up with deeper, more lasting, meaningful relationships. Number five, believe and do good. And this is a nice transition from close connections because I'm talking about church here. And I'm, it doesn't matter what the church is. It doesn't matter what the faith is. But there's something special around a community of faith. Now, it could just purely be the socialization of church, or it could also be this belief or faith in some sort of religion. Those two together are really powerful for us. So a little bit of church goes a long way. According to our research, and again, I, I go back to the pastor, my, my pastor at my church, back when I joined, and I said, look, Tony, I, I can't come You know, every weekend. I do radio on the Sundays. I get kids and soccer and football and lacrosse and all these other sports. It's hard to get to church. He's like, look, I get it. Even people that go to church that say they go to church for every Sunday, we go to church every Sunday means only about one and a half times a, a month. So that every single Sunday people really on average only go one and a half times a month. So even if you get to church only a couple of times a year, there are research shows that that, that in itself, a couple times a year, at least gets you to that normal happiness baseline. You don't get extra points for only going a few times a year, but you also don't get points taken away. So there's something very powerful, whether it's the faith, whether it's the, the organization, whether it's the community and the socialization, it's really probably all three of those put together that moves the meter. So of course, it's not a bad thing to have a little faith. I also believe that there are very few places in the world that serve up charitable opportunities and volunteer opportunities like church. I mean, it's like the best possible place you can go. If you are looking to get involved, you're looking to help your community. You're looking to help some sort of anyone that is in need in your city. Churches are so good at understanding where those needs are and then helping people get plugged in to be able to help. Number one core pursuit, going back to our first habit of happy retirees, first life habit of happy retirees is having core pursuits. And the number one core pursuit for HROVs is volunteering. I think church helps us do that. The world, as we all know, has changed so much and your financial situation has likely changed too. How you adapt to that change has a massive effect on your future. Maybe your mom or dad's health has declined. Maybe you recently had a baby or got a divorce or inherited some unexpected money and you aren't sure how to invest it. Maybe you're one of the 3 million people who reportedly retired early due to the pandemic. Or perhaps you didn't retire, but your company decided to softly push you out the door. It's happened so much at some of America's biggest companies, they've even come up with a new word for it, surplusing. As in there's a surplus of humans and you're one of them. As if downsizing wasn't bad enough. And if you're facing that change, should you take pension payments monthly or a lump sum, a rollover IRA or something else? You may also be stuck in a static portfolio with the outdated 60-40 stock bond ratio that assumed interest rates and inflation would never go up. We are in the middle of the largest financial shift that we have seen in more than 40 years. Tectonic plates are shifting. We've moved from no inflation to hyperinflation, zero interest rates to higher interest rates. If you have questions about how to adapt to that, 
or adjust to all these changes, just give us a call. Or better yet, find us at yourwealth.com. You can meet with a real live person in Atlanta or Tampa or Denver or Phoenix, or we can just do it over Zoom. I just had a great meeting with some wonderful folks from Cleveland. Yeah, Cleveland, Ohio. If we can get to know each other over Zoom, so can you and I. So reach out to our team at Capital Investment Advisors, the website yourwealth.com. That's Y-O-U-R, wealth.com. And I'm going to do a very quick recap, and then I'll get to probably my favorite one, which is the bonus. Number one, core pursuits. Number two, close but independent children. Hug, don't smother. Three, married or one marriage mulligan. Four, have at least 3.6 close connections. Yes, 3.6 in both. The math just worked out that way. I've never addressed that. But yes, it, yes, it is 3.6 core pursuits. And yes, it is 3.6 close connections. That's not a typo. That's just the way the math worked out. And then number five, believe and do good. Now, the bonus one is because this is just not my wheelhouse and I don't want to pretend to be an expert in it. And this is the hardest chapter to write in What the Happiest Retirees Know. But I'll call this Eat to Beat Disease. HROPs have a, a very significant insight into their own personal health. That doesn't mean that they're teetotaling neurotic eaters or neurotic exercisers, but they have some structure around their physical activities. They have some structure around their eating habits and their drinking habits. And studying all these different areas that contribute to health and happiness over all these years, I'm always searching high and far to find something that I think can universally resonate and that everybody can use. And I think I found that with Dr. William Lee, who is the author of Eat to Beat Disease. His episode will actually be this coming Thursday. But first, first of all, he's a wonderful guest and he's so insightful and he's easy to listen to and easy to understand. But there's so many actionable items in the Dr. William Lee episode, which if, I guess we haven't named it yet, but it'll be, it'll be named Eat to Beat Disease. It's also the name of one of his books. But even though he's a medical doctor and he's participated in something like 36 different FDA drugs, I mean, this is a guy, he's not a a doctor that is only holistic medicine that doesn't believe in anything pharmaceutical. But he's also one of the foremost researchers in the world on how food and what we put in our bodies can heal us from the inside out. And so many of his studies have shown that when comparing a new healthy regimen and diet, the foods that will help heal you, much of this has to do with your vascular system, which provides essentially food and oxygen to every inch of your body. He'll tell you that in some cases, a new regimen of foods that are meant for healing are more powerful, more effective than some leading drugs that are well-known in our society, in the medical community. So he's not an anti-drug guy is why it's so interesting that he writes books about the power of food and how it can heal us. And it's also not a limiting way of looking at food. There are hundreds of foods, hundreds of foods that are dramatically healthy for us. So it's not some limited sort of diet. And that's why I think I like this large menu to choose from and also understand why kiwis are good for one thing, blueberries good for another, all the way to canned fish, 
which by the way, when he told me is one of his favorite things was canned fish, I was like, you're crazy, Dr. William Lay. Of course, the very next time I was at the store, I bought canned fish. I bought some sort of, it was pretty expensive. It was like a $7 tin of tuna, but it was in some sort of Mediterranean oil. Phenomenally good. Phenomenally good. I never in a million years would have thought that. I do remember back 25, 30 years ago when I lived in Spain, that was not rare for someone to bring out a can of, you pour up, you pull off the top. I remember the crappy tuna as a kid, you pull off the top. That's how I was associating what canned fish was. I think canned fish has evolved a little bit. And I remember being really good. He's like, oh yeah, of course you like, you'll like canned fish. You lived in Southeastern Spain and Mediterranean. They're the best canned fish in the world. Well, they have some good stuff here in the United States. And I had some the other day and it was wonderful. And it may be not some sort of magical elixir, but I know it was good for me in a lot of ways and because Dr. William Lee told me it was. And I know it was awfully damn good. And that's it. It's five money habits. It's five lifestyle habits. Throw in this bonus from Dr. William Lee. And even though you don't need all of them together to be a happy retiree, if you were to happen to... to at least really participate and think about all of these areas, I would almost guarantee that you can't not end up a happy retiree. Now, for Mallory and for Holly listening, to make sure that everything I say is compliant, they're going to say, you can't guarantee anything, Wes. I think this is one of the few things that I could guarantee. Not a financial guarantee. This is a life guarantee. And I'm going to stick by it. Hey, y'all, this is Mallory with the Retire Sooner team. Please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. If you have any questions, you can find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. You'll find us under the handle Retire Sooner Podcast. And now for our show's disclosure. This podcast is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. It is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment or financial planning considerations. Please refer to the full disclosure in the podcast description for any additional information information.